0: You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission.
1: Thank you so much worship team. Praise God, that was awesome worship. I love that new song too, Only Jesus. If you weren't here when we first started, we sang an amazing new song there that we will be singing again soon. Well, kids, you are free to go to your class. You have Quentin, Mr. Quentin, and Miss Megan are back there. Yeah, for the first time, Quentin's going to teach kids, too. Love it. Um, (laughs) Everyone, that's like half the crowd. All right, great. Everyone else, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Malachi, we are in a series that we're calling Sovereign Grace, and we opened this up last Sunday, the first five verses with Malachi's cold open into the entire book. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say to me, how have you loved us? All right, so the first five verses, the audacity of that question says so much about the heart of God's people. This prophetic message was delivered to God's people who had grown cozy, comfortable, and coddled, you could say. At this specific time, God's people... We're in a half-decent place, similar to where we're at right now in America, but they were quickly forgetting their true identity and where their place was in God's grand narrative. They were also falling into a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mentality. So God answered that question in the first five verses, and interestingly interestingly enough, throughout Malachi's prophetic message, he's engaging in what is called the Socratic Dialectic Method. And I know you probably, it's a mouthful, you probably didn't expect to hear something like that here on Sunday morning, the Socratic Dialectic Method. What is, what is that? Um, Well, it's named after Socrates, the classical Greek philosopher who was a contemporary of Malachi, living at the exact same time. And it's remarkable how their styles of engagement, how similar those styles are. We're going to get a heavy dose of this in the message today, so I want to explain it to you up front. What we now call the Socratic method is a form of teaching that is almost uh, like a cross-examination approach to, in order to uncover contradictions or inconsistencies. So rather than teaching by just coming right out and just hitting you with the declarative truth, He's going to ask a probing question after question. He's going to pile the questions on top of each other to draw out something within your heart. So, you know, think about this. When you you want to communicate something to someone, you can do it one of two ways, right? You can just come in, shove something down someone's throat. You need to stop saying it like that right now. Or you could ask the question, um, have you ever thought about how you saying that with that tone of voice, how that affects me? You're saying the same thing, but you're just saying it in a totally different, different way. And the Socratic dialectic method, or maybe we should just call it the Malachi, Mal- Malachite method, I don't know, uh, what, what you're about to read is not just these declarative statements, it is questions that are directed to your heart, and the objections are brought up along the way, but it's done in this disarming, thought-provoking way for you to personalize. And if you really think about it, this is probably the way we should also be teaching our kids. And this is the way we should be, like, de-escalating problems at work. Um, If a rebuke is raised against you, it's, it's really easy just to brush it off and, oh, that person's just being negative, they don't understand me. But if the point is made from sincerely asking a question so that you can realize the error of your ways from within, it's no longer merely an outside attack, It's an opportunity for reflection, for self-examination, and repentance. So Malachi, and much like Socrates, who gets all the credit for it, is a master at this, and it's going to be on full display in the text. So with that in mind, why don't we read the word and open up the topic at hand? So Malachi, we're going to start reading in verse 6, right where we left off from last week. Malachi 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master— I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So what is Malachi saying here in point one? Well, he, he asks a few questions, if you noticed. First of all, the first question is, is your worship despising the name of God? It's a loaded question, but that is the question. Um, and this isn't coming from you know a, a scolding authority figure who is just shouting at you, how dare you despise the name of God? We're not going to ask it that way. We're going to ask the same questions that Malachi asked God's people. Who again, we're in a very similar position as we all are right now. Are you honoring God the Father with your worship? You have to answer that question. God is the good Father. He redeemed Israel just like he redeemed those of us in this room who have called out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a loving Father who disciplines his children when they are disobedient because he loves them and he loves them too much, let them go down a destructive path. However, in this text, we're seeing that Israel did not obey him as a child obeys a father. They didn't honor God either. The, the word for honor in this text is an interesting word. It's the Hebrew word kabob, kabob, almost like kebab, but kabob, which is elsewhere translated glory. And I'm just glad that our church has the the Greek word for glory, not the Hebrew word for glory, because that'd be a pretty weird name to have for a church. Um, but, But the whole point is here, in not honoring him, they did not bring him glory. They did not revere him and respect him. So how about you? In how you spend your free time, in how you schedule and prioritize your weekends, Are you honoring God by living in a way that brings him glory? It's a question you have to answer. Here's another question. Are you fearing the Lord of hosts with your worship? Here's that word fear in scripture. It comes up quite often. And we have to be really careful whenever we cover this word. It's almost—it's like a fearful thing as a pastor that I teach clearly what the word fear means. I have to get this right. But that being said, it's not a horrifying or frightening type of fear. This word refers to an appropriate holy respect, a reverential honor for a holy God. So think about all that he has done for you. He created you. He gave you all the talent that you possess. He gave you your personality. He has has a plan that he's orchestrating for your life. And when you make decisions with your money, or when you decide who to talk to or how to talk to them, are you respecting and honoring God? Is that, is that a way for you to worship by bringing glory to God? Or do you do the opposite and just take it callously and, and joke about the things of God and spiritual things? It's interesting that in this passage, God refers to himself as the Lord of hosts. You see that like in every one of these verses. Verses the Lord of hosts. Hosts is a military term, and it refers to an army. So in this case right here, we're talking about God being the general of the heavenly army of, of, the, of the angelic beings. Malachi is reminding God's people that God deserves respect, not only like a father of a family, God demands honor based on his status as the all-powerful general of the angelic army. So look again at with me at verse 6. Look at the uh, very end of that verse. But you say, how have we despised your name? The answer there is by offering polluted food upon my altar. And then they still say, well, how? By offering sick, blind, and lame animals as a sacrifice. In verse 7, God says, that despises my name, that is evil. So God is still coming here with questions. In verse 8, he says, would you offer that to the governor? And this is like that Persian influence again, um, you know, the, the Persian ruler. God's asking, what if you talk that way? What if you presented yourself like this to the Persian ruler? Would, how would he respond? Would he accept you and show you favor? And then on top of it all, in this text, we see that God's people still have the audacity, in the midst of all that going on, they have the audacity to ask God for more grace and more favor. And I think we're all like this sometimes, though. We get miffed when you don't get exactly what you want, exactly when when you want it from God. As if we know exactly what's best for us in every moment. So hopefully you can feel the tension here in this passage, just like last week. We're coming, and this, this is just hitting hard. Direct, you know, it's, it's a personal hit, but he's asking questions in a way that we have to probe our own hearts. Now, Malachi is laying a lot of the blame on the priests here in this passage. But in the New Testament, which we are living in the New Covenant, every believer of Jesus Christ is a priest. We have the full canon of scripture. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So you must examine your own heart. How are you worshiping God with your life? With what in your life are you worshiping God? Is your life about you doing your thing and living living your life your way? Or are you living your life the way that Romans 12 talks about? And Jamie opened up our service today with Romans 12. I'm going to ask you to turn there again, just a a few books forward into the New Testament. Romans 12 provides some great elaboration on exactly what we're seeing here in Malachi. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're going to have more on this verse to come. But here's the question that you have to personally answer. Am I giving God my best? Or am I giving him the polluted and lame sacrifice? Now, of course, we're not in the Old Testament sacrificial system. That that Mosaic law is no longer. So what is our modern-day equivalent of, of a polluted sacrifice? I think it goes something like this. When you say in your heart, you know, God, you've given me everything I have. You have revealed how you desire to use me as salt and light in this world. Uh, so, okay, I can show up on a Sunday morning, here's 20 bucks. Right? Does, does that sound a little lame? <laughs> sound a little polluted of a sacrifice to you? Or you could say, God, um, you've given me a mind and an intellect, and I can just swim circles around all these other plebs in the office. So I'm going to elevate myself in my glory, and I'm going to do my thing and build my own kingdom. And sure, sure, I'll be a good Christian. I'll go to church on Sunday so I can feel halfway decent about myself and do it for the kids. But where is the worship coming from in your own heart? Those are just a couple examples. Uh, What about, I finally have some time. All right, let me, I finally have some free time all right, let me just open up the Bible, read a couple verses, get that out of the way, and I can sit in front of Netflix for a couple hours and just veg out. How are you spending your time? Are you offering your best to God? We offer our best to our company. We offer our best to our kids. What about to Christ's Church? You know, it's very easy to just get a hobby and just, like, let that consume you, right? I've been there before. Or you obsess over your, your hobby. You can talk to everyone and anyone about it and they just until they get like tired of it, right? What about Jesus? Do we talk about Jesus that way with other people? Or is anybody asking you just to shut up about Jesus in your life? I think these things all relate back to the same thing going on here with these lame polluted sacrifices. Is your worship or lack of worship? in what it says or doesn't say, despising the name of God? That's the question. So we have to reject worthless worship that despises the name of God. And now, the next point is also laced with questions about worship. So I think before we go any further, this would be the time to clearly define what worship is in Scripture. The Bible uses this word all the time. And if you don't understand true worship, there's a high likelihood that what you call worship is worthless worship. For many Christians, when they think of worship, they immediately think of singing. They think of praying or going to church on Sunday. And to be clear, worship includes all of those things, 100%. But it also has to be more than that. Worship is an attitude of your heart. It's your posture towards something. And, and the root of that word is from an old word that means worth So it's to ascribe honor and respect, to proclaim their worth. In Malachi's case, as in ours, we're talking about God. We worship God, most importantly because of who he is. He's the supreme creator of the universe, but also we worship him for what he has done for us. He sent Jesus into this world to die for our sin. In the first five verses, we are reminded of how he chose us and in verse 6, we are reminded that he loves us like a father. Praise God for that. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. So it's pretty clear that our motivation and our inspiration to worship God, it doesn't come from within us. It starts for his love for us. And when we see how much he loves us, we love him in return. And as Romans 12 said, everything you do with your life should be an act of spiritual worship. When we show God's glory, and God's glory is everything that is true about him, his justice, his mercy, his holiness. When we live out the truth of who God is in a way that shows his glory, that is an act of worship. So we don't sacrifice you know, spotless lambs or pigeons or food uh, depending on our income, you know, as the believers in the Old Testament did. In the New Covenant, covenant, What did Paul say? Again, Romans 12. Here it is on the screen again. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In how you live your life, what you do with your body and how you take care of your body, are you ascribing worth to God? Or are you elevating the gifts over the giver? What is happening here in Malachi's day is the same thing that is happening to us now with the worship of God. The central place of ascribing value and worth above everything else had become mundane had become a routine thing, and it had basically become more of an interruption than it had a central focus in your life of worshiping God. So, so just think about something that you love to do, okay? Maybe a hobby of yours. Um, maybe go fishing, get away from everything. You know, get alone on a lake. Maybe it's to go hiking or mountain biking, uh, maybe, maybe some of you, it's to go shopping. I can't understand that one. Sounds like a lot of work to me. Uh, and especially now, you can't even sh- try things on. It's one thing to try clothes on in the, in the store, and like have to go through all that and see if the size fits. It's another thing to like, buy it, take it home and try it on now, and then you have to return it if it doesn't fit. Shopping, is a, a, so shopping doesn't work really well for this illustration. But let's say your favorite hobby that you love to do uh, was playing basketball. That's just you know that was mine before I got married and 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 started having kids. Um, when my hobby was playing basketball, I didn't want anything to interrupt that. I didn't want anything to get in the way of that. Um, and I think back to when I was in college. You know, I'm all right. I'm studying studying to go into the ministry, but like basketball was my passion. I loved competing. I loved having fun out there on the court. And now there's like always good competition over here at the gym. So it was really tempting just to just go play basketball for three hours every night and not do any of my studies. And I got B's and C's when, if I would have actually been doing my best, I could have easily gotten an A. Um, and it took me about a year and a half before I woke up. But I didn't want anything to interrupt my value, the thing that I was putting my worth into. For far too many Christians, their faith and their worship of God the Father and the Holy Spirit is a mundane thing. And it's like a, almost like a checkbox. And if Sunday worship is an interruption for the rest of your weekend, my question is, does it sound like it should be? Does it sound like the worship of God should take that commonplace, I guess I'll fit it in where I can, mentality? So you have to answer, is being committed to Christ church too much of an inconvenience to my extended family plans or to my hobbies? The answer to these questions tells you what you need to know about what you are truly putting worth and worship into. Now let's move on to the second point, because there's another batch of questions coming under a slightly different heading, So let's pick it up in verse 11, because that's such a good verse. Back to uh, Malachi, Malachi 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, or its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say... What a weariness is this, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So just as we talked about worthless worship that defiles God, that doesn't show honor or reverential fear to God, to go one step further, there's another angle on this, and it's apathetic worship. We just had the question, are you despising God with what you worship? Now the question is, is your worship defiled with how you are offering your worship? So what's the word Malachi used there in verse 12? It's the word profane it's a pretty strong word and it's going to come up again next week when we're in chapter two but to profane here in this context means to have contempt to have contempt and show contempt i realize most people especially if you're here gathered today this morning would never think of showing contempt for the worship of god even if even if Jesus isn't your thing, and you're not, you're not a Christian, let's say. I know there's a lot of non-religious people who still show respect for the worship of God. These, these people are getting more and more rare, but, but they, they see Christianity, and they see the net positives. And even though they don't follow Jesus, and it's not something they believe in, they, they are good with it, and they think it's a benefit to society. But that's not the conversation we're having right now about profane. God says that you are profaning his name when you join the chorus of verse 12. And and what's the spirit of verse 12? What 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 is their tone? What are they actually saying? What's the big deal? Come on, David. You know, that, that, that was the way the priests were responding here. I hope that's not the same way you are thinking right now. Come on, David, really? Being that committed? Well, verse 13 uses the phrase... You snort at it, this is a shrug of the shoulders. Just laughing it off. You know, it's all right, whatever. It it's not that big of a deal. If you're sitting here and you're and in your apathy, you're making excuses for yourself and you're rationalizing it right now, that apathetic sense is exactly what this is addressing. How does God feel about that? We we just read it, it's in verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God isn't mincing any words here. He's not playing your game. He sees right through it. What God says is if you're not giving him your best, you're profaning the God who loves you and who gives you breath. And here is the challenge that God is laying before us all. Give him your best, and don't pretend to be all in if you're not all in. If it's not in your heart, it's a sham. This is a pretty heavy message, right? Even though we're asking, good thing I'm asking questions here, because if this was was just yelling at you, this would not be going well. But we're just asking all these probing questions, and it keeps, keeps pricking our heart. Combat apathetic worship, which profanes the name of God, by loving God, by remembering what he did for you. I hope you've heard enough questions to see where your heart is at on all this. It's the Socratic dialectic method, uh, and I hope it's revealing something to you. I hope it's drawing something out. But what Malachi is really teaching here is that when there are just listless actions on our part, that, that that's actually defining your heart. The root of all of that is an apathetic attitude. And when your faith is monotonous, it's stemming from, you know, maybe someone else pulling you along. Maybe it's motivated by guilt or duty rather than love for God. What this text is revealing is you have a problem. And it's a heart problem. Worship is more than the words you sing. It's more than saying the right words at the right time when the right people are in earshot. Your true worship is a reflection of of your deepest, innermost passion? And only you can answer that question. I can't answer that question for you. Do you treasure God and revel in what he has done for you? If you do anything but your best for God, it isn't cutting it. If you're not prioritizing his mission, living out Romans 12, then you need to respond to God's word today and change something about your heart. Here's another way to think about it. How can you know that you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, as Romans 12 said? Well, what are you doing for God that is a sacrifice, right? That's a helpful way to get to this, to get to the bottom of it. Are you doing hard things? Are you doing things that aren't just for you, but that are for someone else? Maybe someone that can't give anything back. I know many of us are. Many of us in this church, are. Sac- they sacrifice every Sunday morning. You sacrifice throughout the week for other people. I mean, even, even committing yourself to a life group, it's not always easy to go to a life group, right? I mean, we're busy. You, your heart, it's, it's a tiring day when you come home from work. Sometimes you just don't feel like it. But to know that I need this and that I can actually impact other people and love other people by going and participating, that is a commitment that you are doing sometimes even for other people, right? You could say it this way. If there is no sacrifice in your sacrifice, is it really a sacrifice? Think about that. Is it at the end of the day, is it just benefiting you? Jesus specifically told us to give back to people who couldn't give anything back in return. That's what Jesus did for us. So we're not talking about just hosting someone in your home who will return the favor. We're talking about generously giving to someone who may even squander what you're giving them. And if that thought, if that thought of that just bothers you, and it's like, oh man, I could never just give to somebody who's going to waste what I'm going to give them, That's a horrific thought. Think about the fact that you have squandered so many of the things that God gave you, but he kept pursuing you and he kept showing you grace and he kept showing you mercy. And he gave to you over and over and over again. Speaking of of giving to someone who can't give back, having somebody over for dinner who can't repay you, think about it this way. What do you do uh, when you invite someone over for a meal, all right? Think about this. Well, you get the house picked up, right? And uh, get the get the paper plates out. You know, oh, put the paper plates away. Excuse me. Get the nice dishes out. Um, and usually, if if you're trying to go all in, you uh, get the family recipe going. You know, what's what's your best dish? And and for Julie and I, one of the things we love to make is is grilled salmon. Like I grill the salmon. Julie like uh, broils the broccoli. Um, and make some really good rice. We'll get some ciabatta bread. And like that's our, that's our go-to best meal, okay? Sometimes we'll make it into a salad, get some almonds in there and strawberries and blue cheese with the salmon. I hope I'm not making you too hungry. Lunch is close, okay? Lunch is close. But that's, that's our go-to. It's like, we're going to try to do this right and make a good meal. What you don't do when you have somebody over is, all right, we did all this. We invited them over. Then you open up the freezer. Like, hey, honey, can we use this, like, six-month-old, like, um like pasta dish that somebody gave us? Is it okay to re-gift that in a way? Like, no, you're not going to serve somebody the leftovers when you're having them over to dinner, right? You're going to do your best. And of course, some of us, I know, some of us have people over all the time. We have a lot of very hospitable people, so sometimes you are just getting, like, the grilled cheese and the soup and whatever's in the kitchen, whatever's in the refrigerator because we're, we're hanging out all the time. But the point is, when you are having someone over, you are going to serve your best. You're going to make it, you're going to do it right. We would never think of just serving leftovers. Are you giving God your best? Or are you just serving him the leftovers? You don't have to have a disposable income to be hospitable. You can can serve somebody chicken noodle soup, and if it's coming from a heart of love, it's going to be warm and filling and it's going to suffice. What do you have that God has given you that you can offer back to him? Sacrifice is knowing that even if I don't feel like I can do this right now, I know that God can give me the strength. I know God has called me to this, and I can do it for his glory. And you're outside of yourself, and you have joy that comes into the picture. It is a sacrifice to give generously. Yes, of course. To give above and beyond your tithe is a sacrifice getting in the word and and, and devoting yourself to having a specific time and place where you pray and you read the word, how much time are you sacrificing for that? When we do these things out of love for God, out of an overflow for what he has done for you, rather than out of duty, it's a joy to present your life as a living sacrifice to the glory of God, which is your spiritual worship. And here's the thing that helps with this. Until you realize that everything you have belongs to God, you're always going to have a hard time giving God your best. Think about that. We are not owners of our possessions. God owns everything, including us. He's given us all that we have. So we're not owners, we are stewards God is asking you, why is it that when it comes to your career or your kids or sports, you hold nothing back, but when it comes to me, you give me what's left and not what's best? That's the question Malachi is presenting all of us. God does not want your leftovers. He doesn't want what's left. He wants what's best. Here's something else that's true about God, and you'll find this consistently throughout Scripture. 100 out of 100 times, when we see giving and sacrifice in scripture, before God accepts your gift, he inspects your heart. It's not just about the bottom line figure that's on that check. It's about like, where's the heart in that? The value of the offering is determined by the worth that it is for the one who is offering it. All of these questions that Malachi has are directed at our hearts today. So... If I can, if I may, let me, let me just give you one more question with the Socratic method, all right? I know we've had a lot of these questions. You've been bombarded with questions, but here's one that you may be asking. All right, David, all that. I, I hear you, but really, you're still thinking, maybe you don't want to say this out loud, but you're thinking, well, why do I have to give God my best? After all this, you're still asking, why do I have to give God my very best? What's the answer? God gave you his best. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sin, to redeem you. God's not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done for you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him should not perish but have Everlasting life. God sent his sinless son into the world to be the savior of the world. Jesus willingly sacrificed his life on the cross for the payment of your sin penalty. God gave you his son. Jesus gave you his life. So what are you holding back for? If you truly get that, you cannot hold back. So here's where the third point comes in today, the final point. Malachi is is at right right now. He's ready to uh, really hit the priests and rebuke the priests. He's not going into any more direct application. So we're gonna move. You know we're gonna move into that next week in chapter two. But right now we're just gonna camp right here. And at point number three is the object of your worship worthy of worship. Is the object of your worship Jesus Christ? Because he's the only one who is worth who is worthy of ultimate. Worship. You know how you know how it is when you're watching sports. Sometimes, you know, I'm I'm a football fan. Um, I, I know not everybody's a football fan, so we'll just go with the sport like that everybody loves. How about the Olympics, right? And the Olympics did not happen this summer, which is really disappointing for me. I hope that are they coming back this summer? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But but when you're watching the Olympics, this this happens every time. Who watches the Olympics? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, I thought so. See, yeah, I'm kidding most people here. What do the announcers do? Usually they're gushing over that athlete to the other, the, the other announcer, right? This girl, she is so dedicated. She is the first in, the last out. She just is committed to this, and she's on fire to be the best. She's driven to be the best that she can be. You, you, you always hear that, right? And you're like, oh, wow, that person is so committed with their diet. And, and you hear all these things every time you watch the Olympics. We hear that about athletes all the time. How often do we hear that about Christians? For their love for Jesus and their relationship with God. There are Christians like this for sure. But let's be real, there should be a lot more. There should be a whole lot more. And really, we shouldn't be worried about others, though. You need to internalize this personally. As I was thinking about this passage and this specific point, I, w- I just had the thought, like, last evening, um, revival starts in the heart. We all want to see revival. We all want other Christians to get on fire. We all want things to change and get better. We want, we want to see justice. We, we want all those things. The Bible says that all of these big picture problems, they, the root of them all and the source of them all is actually a heart getting aligned to God. So when revival happens in your own life, that's when it starts sparking into flame everywhere else. Is the object of your worship worthy of worship? You remember the story in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? You know, in, in that conversation as it was going on, uh, it came out that this, this lady did not have a husband right now, but she had had five husbands previously. You know, Jesus, Jesus had drawn that out of her. And she was a little uncomfortable, she, she was trying to wiggle out of the conversation. And she's getting defensive. And this is what Jesus said in John 4, 23-24. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Worship team, you can come up right now, right here as we close this out. The point about all of this isn't to try harder and be better. <laughs> and, all right, I'm just going I'm I'm to do it. I'm going to be more committed. I'm going to be a better person. That is not what we're telling you, okay? The answer is to worship Christ in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is teaching here about worship is paramount. And there are some sincere people who love God and they miss this. And the results are tragic. We have to worship Christ in spirit and truth. You can be all spirit, okay? Um, You can be all spirit to the point that you actually miss the truth. You love God. You love justice. You have a God-given desire in your DNA as a child of God who's made in his image to want unity and peace. And you can be all for that in the spiritual sense. But if you are missing the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the blood, the water, and the vine, and that the root of every problem is sin, then the right spirit can be led astray when it's not grounded in truth. You can't have all spirit without truth and have acceptable worship. But you can also be all truth And not have have the spirit. You can can go the other direction on that. Some people want the facts and just the facts. They know the truth. But in their heart, they are missing the spirit of God. And, And there's a lack of love there. Worship God in both ways, spirit and truth. It's not just who you worship. It's how you worship. You have to have the truth and the spirit. The truth person is really good at following the rules and people-pleasing. They are accurate on paper. They are eventually going to get burdened, and they're going to get weary. I've seen this happen over and over again. A person in their worship is all about getting it right and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But they're missing the heart of it all, behind everything. And their passion eventually turns into a performance. That person fizzles out. You also have the, the spirit person. I mean they can burn bright and shine bright really fast. They can do some amazing things with their creativity and their passion and their talent. But again, if they're not grounded into truth and they're not they're, they're not stable in the fact of who Jesus is and why they're doing what they're doing and where the real answers and the real problems come from, that is going to also fade away and just burn out. So it's so important for you to hear me out here. The direct application for you is to raise your bar on your love for Christ. And when that is raised, your devotion with Christ comes along with it. You have to answer the question, where is my commitment to my God and my Savior? We all have room to grow in this, every single one of us. But the takeaway cannot be, I'm going to try harder now. It's the wrong takeaway. This is a spiritual reality. Now in this moment, we're gonna sing this song a little bit more, but I want to give you a chance to respond. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is an opportunity for you to say, "I, I want to hear more about this. I want to talk about this. Maybe, maybe pray with someone about this." Just take a step in the back, and uh, Brother Paul's back there. Um, Karen's back there. They, they love to talk with you and pray with you about how you can start a relationship with Jesus. Because God loves you, and he sent Jesus to die for you. For the rest of us in this room who already know Jesus Christ, and you've been meditating on this, this entire last hour, how am I worshiping God? Am I giving him my very best? There's some things in your life that you need to start sacrificing. Maybe put that off to the side and do something else instead. That's that's called sacrifice. You're doing something hard, but you're doing it for Christ and his church and his kingdom. That's eternal, right? I hope we've all thought about that. If you'd like to uh, pray to the Lord and talk to God about that, you can come up in the front and just kneel down at one of these chairs. Let's start at the, the bridge, and we're going to sing Fade Away one more time as, as, we, uh, as we take this to the Lord and, and really... Talk to Him about where you're at with your worship. feel his presence in the room today um as we close one thing i want to mention is the men and women we we meet at 9 30 every morning to pray and if you would like to join us in join in on that it's such a great time we just pray for the holy spirit to move in the service so 9 30 since it's been freezing cold we've been meeting in this room over here uh, but we'd love to have more of you come to that just want to let you know about that and I am really excited about the Marriage and Parenting Conference, God's gifts this weekend, so it's not too late to sign up. This is this is an aspect of the church where why do we do things like this? Like, we have limited time and resources. We don't want to dominate your schedule, but we do believe that the one of our roles as a church, not only to worship God, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what a better way that we can equip you than to have a, an amazing speaker come in and, and teach. Him and his wife are going to be teaching on on how to have a godly marriage, how to how to raise kids in this world. Um, and we have some exciting news coming up for the student ministry as well. Uh, I just love what God is doing in this season in our church. Praise God that we have this room the way we have it, that we don't have to set up and tear it down right now. That's an awesome answer to prayer. I think it helped our service today. Absolutely. So let's close with Romans 8, verse 31. Can you all see it here? Yes, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all thanks? You are loved.